0: chapter 2 part 2 of the guns of shiloh this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the guns of shiloh by joseph a olcheller chapter 2 the mountain lights part 2 warner was less depressed than dick he had an even temperament based solidly upon mathematical calculations he knew that while it might be raining today the chances were several to one against its raining tomorrow i've good cause to remember baltimore he said i was with the new england troops when they had the fight there on the way down to the capital although we hold it it's really a southern city dick most all the border cities are southern in sympathy and they're swarming with people who will send to the southern leaders news of every movement we make I state, and moreover I assert it in the face of all the world, that the knowledge of our departure from Washington is already in southern hands. By close mathematical calculation the chances are at least ninety-five percent in favor of my statement. "'Very likely,' said Dick. "'And we'll have that sort of thing to face all the time when we invade the South. We've got to win this war, George, by hard fighting, and then more hard fighting, and then more and more of the same.' "'Guess you're right,' "'Arithmetic shows at least one hundred percent of probability in favor of your suggestion.' "'Dick looked up and down the long coach, packed with young troops. "'Besides the commissioned officers and the sergeants, there was not one in the coach who was twenty-five. "'Most of them were nineteen or twenty, and it was the same in the other coaches. "'After the first depression, their spirits rose. "'The temper of youth showed strongly. "'They were eager to see Baltimore, but the train stopped there only a few minutes— and they were not allowed to leave the coaches. Then the train turned towards the west. The drizzle of rain had now become a pour, and it drove so heavily that they could see but little outside. Food was served at noon, and afterward many slept in the cramped seats. Dick, despite his stiff position, fell asleep too. By the middle of the afternoon everybody in their coach was slumbering soundly except Sergeant Whitley, who sat by the door leading to the next car. All that afternoon and into the night the train rattled and moved into the west. The beautiful rolling country was left behind, and they were now among the mountains, whirling around precipices so sharply that often the sleeping boys were thrown from the seats of the coaches. But they were growing used to hardships. They merely climbed back again upon the seats, and were asleep once more in half a minute. The rain still fell, and the wind blew fiercely among the somber mountains. A second engine had been added to the train, and the speed of the train was slackened. The engineer in front stared at the slippery rails, but he could see only a few yards. The pitchy darkness closed in ahead, hiding everything, even the peaks and ridges. The heart of that engineer, and he was a brave man, as brave as any soldier on the battlefield, had sunk very low. Railroads were little past their infancy then, and this was the first to cross the mountains. He was by no means certain of his track, and moreover the rocks and forest might shelter an ambush. The Alleghanies and their outlying ridges and spurs are not lofty mountains, but to this day they are wild and almost inaccessible in many places. Nature has made them a formidable barrier, and in the great civil war those who trod there had to look with all their eyes and listen with all their ears. The engineer was not alone in his anxiety this night. Colonel Newcomb rose from an uneasy doze, and he went with Major Hertford into the engineer's cab. They were now going at the rate of not more than five or six miles an hour, the long train winding like a snake around the edges of precipices and feeling its way gingerly over the trestles that spanned the deep valleys. All trains made a great roar and rattle then, and the long ravines gave it back in a rumbling and menacing echo. Gusts of rain were swept now and then into the faces of the engineer, the firemen, and the officers. "'Do you see anything ahead, Canby?' said Colonel Newcomb to the engineer. "'Nothing. That's the trouble, sir.' If it were a clear night, I shouldn't be worried. Then we wouldn't be likely to steam into danger with our eyes shut. This is a wild country. The mountaineers in the main are for us, but we are not far north of the southern line, and if they know we are crossing, they may undertake to raid in here. And they may know it, said the colonel. Washington is full of southern sympathizers. Stop the train, Canby, when we come to the first open and level space, and we'll do some scouting ahead. The engineer felt great relief. He was devoutly glad that the colonel was going to take such a precaution. At that moment he, more than Colonel Newcomb, was responsible for the lives of the seven hundred human beings aboard the train, and his patriotism and sense of responsibility were both strong. The train, with much jolting and clanging, stopped fifteen minutes later. Both Dick and Warner, awakened by the shock, sat up and rubbed their eyes. Then they left the train at once to join Colonel Newcomb, who might want them immediately, wary sergeant whitley followed them in silence the boys found colonel newcomb and the remaining members of his staff standing near and seeking anxiously to discover the nature of the country about them the colonel nodded when they arrived and gave them an approving glance the two stood by awaiting the colonel's orders but they did not neglect to use their eyes dick saw by the engineer's lantern that they were in a valley and he learned from his words that this valley was about three miles long with a width of perhaps a mile a little mountain river rushed down its center and the train would cross the stream about a mile further on it was still raining and the cold wind whistled down from the mountains dick could see the somber ridges showing dimly through the loom of darkness and rain he was instantly aware too of a tense and uneasy feeling among the officers all of them carried glasses but in the darkness they could not use them lights began to appear in the train and many heads were thrust out at the windows go through the coaches mr mason and mr warner said colonel newcomb and have every light put out immediately. Tell them, too, that my orders are for absolute silence. Dick and the Vermonter did their work rapidly, receiving many curious inquiries as they went from coach to coach, all of which they were honestly unable to answer. They knew no more than the other boys about the situation, but when they left the last coach and returned to the officers near the engine, the train was in total darkness, and no sound came from it. Colonel Newcomb again gave them an approving nod. Dick noticed that the fires in the engine were now well covered, and that no sparks came from the smokestack. Standing by it he could see the long shape of the train running back in the darkness, but it would have been invisible to anyone a hundred yards away. "'You think we're thoroughly hidden now, Canby?' said the colonel. "'Yes, sir, unless they've located us precisely on advance information. I don't see how they could find us among the mountains in all this darkness and rain.' "'But they've had the advance information. Look there!' exclaimed major hertford pointing toward the high ridge that lay on their right a beam of light had appeared on the loftiest spur standing out at first like a red star in the darkness then growing intensely brighter and burning with a steady vivid light the effect was weird and powerful the mountain beneath it was invisible and it seemed to burn there like a real eye wrathful and menacing the older men as well as the boys were held as if by a spell it was something monstrous and eastern like the appearance of a genie out of the arabian nights The light, after remaining fixed for at least a minute, began to move slowly from side to side, and then faster. "'A signal!' exclaimed Colonel Newcomb. "'Beyond a doubt it is the Southerners. Whatever they're saying, they're saying it to somebody. Look toward the south.' "'Ah, there they are, answering!' exclaimed Major Hertford. All had wheeled simultaneously, and on another high spur a mile to the south a second red light, as vivid and intense as the first, was flashing back and forth it too the mountain below invisible seemed to swing in the heavens dick standing there in the darkness and rain and knowing that imminent and mortal danger was on either side felt a frightful chill creeping slowly down his spine it is a terrible thing to feel through some superior sense that an invisible foe is approaching and not be able to know by any kind of striving whence he came the lights flashed alternately and presently both dropped from the sky seeming to dick to leave blacker spots on the darkness in their place then only the heavy night and the rain encompassed them what do you think it is asked colonel newcomb of major hertford southern troops beyond a doubt it is equally certain that they were warned in some manner from washington of our departure i think so too it is probable that they saw the light and have been signaling their knowledge to each other it seems likely to me that they will wait at the far end of the valley to cut us off what force do you think it is perhaps a cavalry detachment that has ridden hurriedly to intercept us I would say a guess that it is Turner Ashby and his men, a skillful and dangerous foe, as you know. Already the fame of this daring Confederate horseman was spreading over Virginia and Maryland. "'If we are right in our guess,' said Major Hertford, "'they will dismount, lead their horses along the mountainside, and shut down the trap upon us. Doubtless they are in superior force, and know the country much better than we do. If they get ahead of us and have a little time to do it in, they will certainly tear up the tracks.' i think you are right in all respects said colonel newcomb but it is obvious that we must not give them time to destroy the road ahead of us as for the rest i wonder he pulled uneasily at his short beard and then he caught sight of sergeant whitley standing silently arms folded by the side of the engine newcomb the minor colonel was a man of big and open mind a successful business man he had the qualities which made him a good general by the time the war was in his third year He knew Whitley, and he knew, too, that he was an old army regular, bristling with experience and shrewdness. "'Sergeant Whitley,' he said, "'in this emergency what would you do if you were in my place?' The sergeant saluted respectfully. "'If I were in your place, sir, which I will never be,' he replied, "'I would have all the troops leave the train. and Then I would have the engineers take the train forward slowly while the troops marched on either side of it, but at a sufficient distance to be hidden in the darkness. Then, sir, our men could not be caught in a wreck.' with their feet on solid earth they would be ready if need be for a fight which is our business well spoken sergeant whitley said colonel Newcombe, while the other officers also nodded approval your plan is excellent and we will adopt it get the troops out of the train quickly but in silence and do you can be be ready with the engine dick and warner with the older officers turned to the task the young soldiers were out of the train in two minutes and were forming in lines on either side arms ready there were many whisperings among these boys but none loud enough to be heard twenty yards away all felt intense relief when they left the train and stood upon the solid though decidedly damp earth but the cold rain sweeping upon their faces was a tonic both mental and physical after the close heat of the train they did not know why they had disembarked but they surmised with good reason that an attack was threatened and they were eager to meet it dick and warner were near the head of the line on the right of the tracks and sergeant whitley was with them The train began to puff heavily, and in spite of every precaution some sparks flew from the smokestack. Dick knew that it was bound to rumble and rattle when it started, but he was surprised at the enormous amount of noise it made when the wheels really began to turn. It seemed to him that in the silence of the night it could be heard three or four miles. Then he realized that it was merely his own excitement and extreme tension of both mind and body. Canby was taking the train forward so gently that its sounds were drowned two hundred yards away in the swirl of wind and rain. The men marched, each line keeping abreast of the train, but fifty yards or more to one side. The young troops were forbidden to speak, and their footsteps made no noise in the wet grass and low bushes. Dick and Warner kept their eyes on the mountains, turning them alternately from north to south. Nothing appeared on either ridge, and no sound came to tell of an enemy near. Dick began to believe that they could pass through the valley and out of the trap without a combat but while a train may go two or three miles in a few minutes it takes troops marching in the darkness over uncertain ground a long time to cover the same distance they marched a full half hour and then dick suppressed a cry the light burning as intensely red as before appeared again on the mountain to the right but further toward the west seemed to have moved parallel to the northern troops as dick looked it began to flash swiftly from side to side and that chill and weird feeling again ran down his spine HE LOOKED TOWARD THE SOUTH, AND THERE WAS THE SECOND SIGNAL, RED AND INTENSE, REPLYING TO THE FIRST. DICK HEARD A DEEP, AH, RUN ALONG THE LINE OF YOUNG TROOPS, AND HE KNEW NOW THAT THEY UNDERSTOOD AS MUCH AS HE OR ANY OF THE OFFICERS DID. HE NOW KNEW, TOO, THAT THEY WOULD NOT PASS OUT OF THE VALLEY WITHOUT A COMBAT. THE SOUTHERN FORCES, BEYOND A DOUBT, WOULD TRY TO SHUT THEM IN AT THE WESTERN MOUTH OF THE VALLEY, AND A BATTLE IN THE NIGHT AND RAIN WAS SURE TO FOLLOW. THE TRAIN CONTINUED TO MOVE SLOWLY FORWARD. Had Colonel Newcomb dared, he would have ordered Canby to increase his speed in order that he might reach the western mouth of the valley before the southern force had a chance to tear up the rails, but there was no use for the train without the troops, and they were already marching as fast as they could. The gorge was now not more than a quarter of a mile away. Dick was able to discern it, because the darkness there was not quite so dark as that which lay against the mountains on either side. He was hopeful that they might yet reach it before the southern force could close down upon them. But before they went many yards further he heard the beat of horses feet both to right and left and knew that the enemy was at hand. Take the train on through the pass, Canby! shouted Colonel Newcomb. We'll cover its retreat and join you later-if we can! The train began to rattle and roar and its speed increased. Showers of sparks shot from the funnels of the two engines and gleamed for an instant in the darkness. The beat of horses feet grew to thunder colonel newcomb with great presence of mind drew the two parallel lines of his men close together and ordered them to lie down on either side of the railroad track and face outward with cocked rifles dick the vermonter and sergeant whitley lay close together and the three faced the north see the torches said whitley dick saw eight or ten torches wavering and flickering at a height of seven or eight feet above the ground and he knew that they were carried by horsemen but he could not see either men or horses beneath Then the rapid beat of hooves ceased abruptly at a distance that Dick thought must be about two hundred yards. Lie flat, cried Whitley. They're about to fire! End of chapter 2, part 2